of scriptures tonight, but we're going to start off in Mark chapter uh, 14, and we'll be looking at a. Uh, We'll be looking at verse 66 through 72 at first. But the, the, the sermon that I have for you tonight, is, it's called The Three Fires in Peter's Life. It's, it's pretty topical, but it's a pretty good sermon. I, I listened to one much like it before when I was in prison in, in Fulton in Missouri, in Missouri State Prison. And uh, I just started going to church for my very first time, and uh, you know, like I'd never been before. And I heard this sermon and it was great, you know, but I landed my doctrine, I landed my theology, I'm a lot different than where he stands, um, and I didn't copy it or anything, but I remember when he, when he told me these three points, man, it stuck with me, and I, so everywhere I went, <coughs> has, has pressed on my, on my heart, so I, I kind of want to start off by asking you this question, do you think that anything surprises God? No. There's nothing that surprises God. Like, does God ever stand in heaven with one hand on his hip and one hand scratches his head saying, man, I didn't see that one coming? Uh, (laughs) Absolutely not, right? Nothing surprises him. And I can remember talking to uh, a guy named Matt Milligan, and he was my discipler while I was in prison. He he worked through this one-to-one discipleship stuff with me, and he was the only one who would write me faithfully every other week. Um, but I remember talking to him, and I was complaining about this and that. I was struggling in my walk. I was in the middle of freeway ministries in Springfield, Missouri, the year-long intensive, you know, and I'm, I'm struggling. Um, and I remember telling him all these, all these complaints and everything that I had going on, and I could still remember his words echoing in my ears. And what he had said was, this didn't surprise God. This did not surprise God. This didn't surprise God. And it was right then at that very moment that I understood and I knew that I kind of got a little better of a grip on God's sovereignty and on the omniscience of God. And when I say that word, I just mean that he's all-knowing, that, that God knows all things and that he's, in, that he's totally in control. And so I kind of got a little personal testimony, a little personal aha moment too. In 2013, I went to prison for my very first time at 19 years old. And while I was there, I met a group of um, confessing Christians and they had a prayer group, you know, they gave me a Bible to read. They tried to hold me accountable, you know, but there was no real change in my life. I continued to break all the rules. Um, I continued to look at pornography. I continued to get into altercations. I continued to cuss, anything, you name it. I continued to do it. There was no real life change. And even when I got out, in between living like a wild animal, and, and, and in between living like a wild animal, I would read my Bible and sometimes I'd go to church, but there was still no change. Because there was no salvation. But honestly, like what I'm about to share, it's my personal aha moment. So I, I, I'm saying don't go seeking moments like these or anything. And it's pretty minute, but it was big to me. Uh, but one evening after I had relapsed in 2014, I was going through my prison stuff. And I was, I was pretty high. And I'm, just, I'm in this closet in my house. And, and I've got this, this cabinet open. And I'm going through my prison stuff. And in there, I find this piece of paper. And right, behind, right before this guy had left prison, uh, the, one of those guys in that Christian group I was telling you about had left prison, he wrote on this slip of paper, 50, uh, Isaiah 55, verse 11. And, and what was written on that, and I think I have a slide on that, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper for the, for the thing that, and for which I sent it. So I read that piece of paper, and I couldn't make much sense of it then, so I just kind of tucked it away, and I went on about my business. But just a few weeks ago, we went on vacation, right? So we were, we were gone for a little while. But just a few weeks ago, so it would have been eight years later, 
two prison bits and seven felonies later, I, I returned back. I have 11 of them, right? I got more than I can count on one hand, but it's by the grace of God that he delivered me from all that stuff. But uh, So we returned back to Washington State, back to the same place where I was at when I found that little piece of, uh, that piece of paper. Uh, my wife and I, we went to a local event where like a church, it, it's just like Freeway, where they reach out in the community and they try to help out the, the addicted and the homeless and stuff, much like Freeway does. And the preacher man stood up behind the lectern and he recited this very same verse, uh, Isaiah 55, 11. And to me, that was big. Like I could have shouted, you know what I mean? Because nobody else knew what was going on, but it, inside my heart, I knew exactly the very last time I was in this state, I heard that verse or I read that verse and then I come back and I hear it again. And to me, what that, what jumps out uh, about that to me is that I, I started thinking that we have an all-knowing God and he knew exactly what I was going to go through to bring me back to the same point in time to come back to hear that verse back in Washington State. You know, it was huge to me. I thanked the Lord immediately. I leaned over to my wife and I told her what had happened. Uh, but the thing was that he put forth a plan before the foundation of the world to save sinners. Okay, and that was huge for me. That he's always had this thought of me in his mind. That's love. And the beauty of it is, is this. That, that God in his foreknowledge, before the foundations of the world, he knew my name. He knew who I would be. He knew my struggles. He knew my strengths. God formed me in my mother's womb, being fearlessly and wonderfully made in his image. He put a calling on my life, not only to be saved, but to glorify him, to equip the saints and to make disciples who multiply. Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, God knew every wrong turn that I would make. It didn't surprise him. He knew every ounce of discipline that it would take to correct me to repentance. It didn't surprise him. He knew exactly what it would take to bring me full circle back to Washington State to declare to me that his word will never return void, that it does indeed accomplish what he set forth. That's enough about me for now. Let's cut to the chase and let's talk about Peter. So what I want to do tonight, though, is I want to identify three fires in Peter's life. And the beauty of these fires is that they show us that Jesus knows. They show us that he is in control, and they show us that he knows exactly what we need to bring us to repentance. He knows exactly what we need. So in Mark chapter 14, verse 66 uh, through 72, I'll go ahead and read. Now as, now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came... And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are uh, Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. And then he thought about it and he wept. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for mercy. We thank you, God, that you uh, continue to chase us down with big old buckets of grace, as Rick would say. Uh, you continue to pursue us, Lord, even, even when we keep running off astray. Your love never ends. Lord, we thank you uh, for your shed blood, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. And I pray, ultimately, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room tonight who does not know you, you would draw them, uh, you would draw them to, to your Son. You would draw them to the foot of the cross. That today would be the day of salvation. 
And Lord, I pray that there would be a word spoken tonight that's, that's your word, that would convict hearts, that would cause change, that would, that would uh, motivate Christians to live out their Christian life. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. <laughs> so that night that Jesus was betrayed, one of his closest disciples, Peter, stood by a fire to warm himself. Uh, he had followed Jesus at a distance, and he made his way to a courtyard near uh, where Jesus was being held. And this wasn't any peaceful fire, however. Around this fire, Peter was surrounded by people that he didn't know, and the company that he kept that night around that fire were not his friends. They had not walked the last three years of the ministry that he had just walked with Jesus. And, uh, and these people were strangers. And so they were tipped off by... Uh, all these people around this fire were tipped off by this by his accent, right? He spoke like I'm not from here. I have an accent, right? Like you guys can all tell that. Um, and <laughs> Peter also had an accent. He said, "I can tell by your speech that you're not from here. I know that you hung out with Jesus." And he denied it. And he denied it. So tipped off by his accent and the servant girl, of the high priest, they began to accuse Peter not once, not twice, but three times of being one of the disciples of Jesus. And and what did Peter do? He denied him how many times? Not once, not twice, but three times. And after each denial, the rooster crowed. He even cursed and he swore to validate his argument, as if that was going to do any good. This was the same Peter who made bold statements, declaring that he would go to jail and he would even die for his Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had a big mouth. He talked a lot. Yet here he was, standing around a fire, accompanied by strangers, lying, cursing, and swearing about knowing Jesus. How many, how many of you stand at the fire of denial tonight and reject Jesus? How many of you guys stand around this same kind of fire tonight and reject Jesus? How many of us at times deny Jesus Christ through our actions? Hanging out with people who, uh, who are not Christians and, and being places where we shouldn't be. Because a lot of times we reject Christ by the way that we live. People should know that we're Christians, right? Uh, I had a disciple or, or a disciple that uh, I was working through as a young boy in high school and... Uh, he worked at McDonald's, and he was there for about two weeks, and I had asked him, I said, does anybody in there know that you're a Christian? He said, no. So that's sad, Bubba, you know? And, and so he went back, and, and, I, and, and he got back on track, and he let everybody know. And, and my firm statement is this. We shouldn't have to be in a place very long for people to know that we're Christians, right? Amen. One more time for the people in the back. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So now you might be saying to me, like, get to the point already. What do you talk about? Why is this important? Why, why do you keep saying this? But before Jesus was betrayed, the, the big part is this. Before Jesus was um, denied by Peter, or before he was betrayed by Judas, uh, Jesus had predicted the denial of Peter. In Mark's account of the gospel, Jesus said this, Before the rooster crows twice, he would deny me three times. And Peter responded by, by saying this, If all were made to stumble, Lord, I would not. You know, Peter had that big mouth again. I would never, I would never stumble. And, and Jesus even said that the devil has asked for you to sift you like wheat, Peter. I've prayed for you. Jesus knew exactly when, where, and how Peter would deny him. It didn't take him by surprise. He told Peter that he had prayed for him. And here's the thing. Jesus had this under control. This would end up glorifying God. And I want you to focus in actually here on the very last sentence in Mark chapter 14. The very last sentence there in 72, verse 72. And when he thought about it, he wept. Peter stood around this fire of sin and denial. And when he remembered the very words of, the God, of, of God the Son, they cut him deep, bringing him to repentance. The Word of God cuts us deep. The Word of God shows us our sins. The Word of God cuts us and puts us back together again, right? Amen. 
And this reminds me of the scriptures in Hebrews uh, chapter 14, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerners of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the words of Jesus, the very words of God, the state of his sin, the state of Peter's sin drove him to a place of complete brokenness. And moving him to tears, moving him to tears, I mean, Peter wept over his sin of denial and it brought him to repentance. I think that's the most beautiful verse here. And, it, and I think that we can get past Peter denying Jesus three times and look at what happened there at the very end when he calls out in repentance and he weeps bitterly. Jesus knew exactly the decision Peter would make around the fire that night. He knew who he'd be hanging around with, and he knew exactly to deny him three times. But here's the thing. He also knew exactly how he would restore Peter as well. He wouldn't leave him there. He knew how he was going to restore him and how he was going to ordain him into service of a shepherd, of a preacher, and even of a martyr. So this brings us to the second fire in Peter's life, the fire of restoration. So looking at John uh, chapter 21... Verse 1 through 10. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Yeah, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you, ha- have you any food? They answered and said, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in, the, the, uh, the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Peter went right back to his old way of life, right? How many of us can, can say that same thing? That after we've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, we went right back to living the same way that we always have. I know that I've done that in my past. And just a personal testimony of mine, after I got saved, I was a born-again, saved believer. You, I mean, proof, proof was in the pudding. But uh, I had some friends move into a cell pod that I was in uh, that, that were gang-affiliated friends of mine, and I continued to live the same life that I always lived. When they came back in, I started to associate with them. I closed my Bible, and I put it up, and it was the roughest, probably, it was only about 30 days, but it was the roughest 30 days of my life. I remember crying out to God in the bathroom saying, God, you have to do something major here. You have to deliver me from this because I don't think I'm strong enough. Because I went right back to living the same way that I always have. I went right back to being a, a stinky fisherman, just like Peter, right back into the boat fishing with his friends. Right back to my old way of life. And I think many of us can testify to that. We've had encounters with Jesus Christ before and we've went right back to the same way that we've always lived. And going back to his old way of life, Peter found himself in the very same position, though, that he was first called by Jesus. So that's what's neat. If you remember earlier on in the Gospels, when Peter gets called by Jesus, what was he doing? 
He was fishing, right? There's no coincidences in the kingdom of heaven, amen? Like, Peter, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to call Peter back and restore him after his denial in the same state that he had called him in the first place. He was fishing. And this time, Peter was surrounded by true friends. Remember the first fire, Peter was surrounded by a bunch of people that he didn't even know. They were strangers. But this time he's surrounded by true friends. Men like Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two other disciples uh, went with him on this fishing venture. And when morning had come, on the shore stood Jesus himself. And he delivered uh, to his disciples a mighty catch, showing them that it was him, uh, showing him that it was Jesus Christ who was speaking from the shore. And I want to point out something pretty magnificent in this text. And I want you to look at verse 7 with me real quick. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Like I said, remember the last fire that Peter had? He was surrounded by a bunch of friends uh, or a bunch of people he didn't even know. They were strangers. Uh, He was falling into sin. He was denying Jesus Christ. Uh, He was surrounded by people who, in a sense, were pulling him away from Christ. But here, Peter has one of his closest friends, the Apostle John, the one who Jesus loved. And what did he do? He pointed the way to Jesus. He was standing in the boat and he said, look, Peter, it's the Lord. And what did Peter do? He put his clothes on and he jumped in the water and he swam to the shore. And I just want to take a moment to say this, that real friends point you towards Christ, while fake friends will only draw you away from him. So us here at Freeway Ministries, at Westside Church, at Waymaker Baptist Church, we're your real friends, okay? We want, we want to help uh, point you to the bread of eternal life. Amen. We want to help you grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, that best friend of yours who is offering you drugs and offering you sex and offering you illegal money, that's not your friend. Okay, he, that is not a friend. A friend does not drag you down. A friend lifts you up and points you to Christ. Those friends that say, ride with me, let's go pull up. That's not our real friends. Real friends pray with you. Real friends cry with you. Real friends take you to church. Real friends point you to Jesus. Get around some real friends that are pointing you to Jesus and watch how your life changes. My aunt told me you're only going to be as good as the five people you hang out with. And I hold on to this dearly. If you want to be a doctor, who are you going to hang out with? You're going to hang out with doctors. You want to be a mechanic, who are you going to hang out with? You're going to hang out with mechanics. You want to be a Christian, who are you going to hang out with? Christians. So often we give our loyalty to the wrong people. We need to make sure we're putting our loyalty in the right place. What was so cool about this, though, is once Peter knew that it was Jesus, he couldn't take it anymore, right? He was so excited to see his Lord, his Savior. He wanted it so bad that he plunged into the sea and he swims to shore where Jesus stood. Uh, And you know what Jesus had waiting for him on that shore? He had a fire of restoration, open arms, waiting for him to welcome him back home, okay? Most of us as humans, if somebody had done us wrong and denied us, not once, not twice, but three times, we would push them off. Like like she said back there, deuces, we'll see you later. We would push you off. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't welcome you back. Most of us, we're that way in our flesh. May it never be, Lord. May you convict our hearts when that happens. But he he had that fire ready to welcome him home. If you notice, though, he already had fish on it. He didn't need the fish that they had just caught. He had already had fish on it. And they were getting ready to sit down and have breakfast by the sea. Me and my wife, we just had breakfast by the sea, didn't we? And we was in San Diego, California, where it was 70-something degrees, and we were eating burritos by the ocean. But I'm telling you this right now, baby, this, this, this breakfast by the sea was far better than ours was. <laughs> and he, 
Any day with Jesus is better than face-to-face Jesus. And after Jesus and his disciples had eaten breakfast by the sea, he began to talk to the very disciple who, who denied him. And I want you to look at verses uh, 15 through 19. So when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grave because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said to him. Feed my sheep. Not once. Or he asked Peter, Do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. Which is also not a coincidence, right? If Peter was going to deny him three times, wouldn't Jesus restore him back three times and ask him this? And in this passage of Scripture, I want you guys to understand something, and we're not going to go too far down that trail, but two forms of love are used. And in our language today, how we would speak in English, we say, uh, like, Naomi, I love you, or I love this pizza over here, I love fried chicken, I, I love this football team, you know what I mean? And, and we don't really have a category to break those things up. Love to us is just love. But in the Greek language, you have different forms of love. And in this passage, there's two, two kinds of love that are being used. Agape, which is like a, a godly kind of love, a sacrificial kind of love, a devoted kind of love. And you have phileo, which is like an affectionate kind of love, a brotherly love. So if you think of the word Phila- the state Philadelphia, city? City, Philadelphia, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Sorry, <laughs> not good with geography, huh? So if you think about Philadelphia, the root word of that, phileo, phila means love, city of brotherly love, right? Well, the first two times that Jesus had asked Peter, do you love me? He was asking Peter if he loved him agape. Like I said, the form of love that signified a total commitment to, uh, for the Lord. And each time Peter responded with the form of love, phileo. So when Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? He would say, yes, I brotherly love you. I phileo, phileo love you. And the form that, uh, and the form, each time that Peter responded with the form of love, phileo, which, like I said, the form that signified his affection and love for Jesus, yet not his total devotion. And finally, the third time that Jesus had asked him, Do you love me? Jesus had borrowed the same word for love that Peter used, phileo. So he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you, do you love me affectionately? Because in this, Jesus is really kind of wanting to break Peter for speaking out rashly. Jesus is questioning the level of love that Peter felt uh, safe proclaiming. And how do I know this? How, how would I jump to such an, an assumption? Dial in and look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, that Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. Peter was grieved. This interrogation of Jesus grieved Peter to the heart. Again, the very words of God cut Peter deep. And it forced him to answer not from the head, but from the heart based off of Jesus' all-knowing power. Because he, says, because he says that, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know my heart. You know, I, you know I love you. I don't know my heart, but you do. And you see that Jesus desired uh, for Peter to lead the disciples. He gave him the... Uh, but anyway, so you see Jesus desired for Peter to lead the disciples, but he needs unconditional and total commitment to him and nothing else. That's what Jesus desires from us as well. Uh, uh, unconditional and total commitment, sacrificial commitment to him. 
even to the point of death. And, 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 and Jesus really signifies this of Peter here in verses 18 through 19 as well. Because he says this, and this is the kind of love that he's looking for, this kind of devotion that he's looking for. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands, uh, you will stretch your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, This he spoke, signifying by the death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Sacrificially. Follow me, even to death, to death and beyond. Jesus knew that this love was not humanly possible for Peter. And Peter needed a helper. He needed the Holy Spirit to live, uh, to live this life of utmost devotion. He needed the Holy Spirit to live agape love. He needed a third fire in his life. Look at the third one with me here, the fire of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1, uh, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. After Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit who filled each believer in that upper room. And from that day forward, the Holy Spirit would indwell everyone who is genuinely saved at the time of their salvation. There's not a need for a second dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say that. And this fire of the Holy Spirit was the fire of all fires in Peter's life. It, it triumphed over the first and the second fire. It was a direct prophecy, actually, of John the Baptist when he had said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit enabled Peter to do something that he could never do before. Look over there at verse 14 in chapter 2 of, of, of Acts. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Peter stood, okay? He stood. He stood up with his fellow apostles and he delivered the greatest sermon that he'd ever preached. Outside of Jesus, it was the greatest sermon ever preached. And listen to the boldness of Peter in his word. He says, Let this be known to you and heed my words. In other words, he's saying, hush up and listen to me. The words that I'm about to preach are from the Lord. And this is the attitude that every preacher ought to have. This is the attitude of a true preacher. A true preacher, preacher boldly proclaims, thus says the Lord, with fire and with passion. A true preacher is a man on fire speaking the word of God. And we pray, God, for you to give us more men like Peter to proclaim the truth. And I want you all to focus in on something here, that Peter was an uneducated Cursing, swearing, lying, denying fishermen. And you know what? God used him. God can use lying, denying, cursing fishermen. He can use uh, strung out, drug addict, dope fiends. When you, when you get right with the Lord, when you get saved, when you repent of your sins, He can use you. Okay? Look at me, 11 time felon. I'm no longer on parole or probation now. I've been clean for four years. He can use you. But it's all glory to God. He can use anybody, anywhere, anytime, anything. He uses rocks and he uses donkeys. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Amen. The Holy Spirit gives us power to do those things that we've never been able to do before. I mean, really think about this. Think of the newspaper headlines in Jerusalem that week. Uneducated fisherman turned powerful preacher. That's what the newspaper headline said. Uneducated preacher or uneducated fisherman turned powerful preacher. If they had newspapers then. And this reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 through 29. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Thank you, Lord. Peter wept at the fire of sin and denial. And Peter swam to the fire of restoration. And Peter stood at the fire of the Holy Ghost. As Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, the old Peter fell away. He stood up and delivered a powerful sermon. Baptized in the Holy Spirit once and for all, it was the last fire that he would ever need. And I want, you to tell, I want to tell you guys something tonight, that I found myself at the fire of sin and denial. I've swum to the shore of repentance and restoration, and I've received the fire of the Holy Spirit once and for all. Have you? Do you weep over sin like Peter? Are you broken over your sin? I pray you are. Have you ever come to a place of complete brokenness in the, in the need of the Savior? Have you ever wept over your sinful state and came to repentance? Have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? If not tonight, you stand around the fire of sin and denial. And that fire burns from an eternal hell. And most of you need to come to the end of yourself. Or some of you need to come to the end of yourself. And the Bible says today, or says that today is the day of salvation. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is that there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. We can't expect to find ourselves in heaven without being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. His word says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody come to the Father except through me. There's no other avenues, okay? Many people think that there's so many different highways to heaven, but there's not. Straight is the way, narrow is the gate. (laughs) Jesus came, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life, something that we could never do. He preached the kingdom of heaven while he was here. He was beat. He was whipped. He was tortured. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He bled for you and for me. He was hung on a cross. He died for sinners. And after three days, he rose again. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Where all authority has been given to him. And guess what's best? He's coming back. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm asking you guys tonight, if you've never come to to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and Lord, I, I call out to you to pour water on the fire of sin and denial and to leave that place and to come to Christ. Would you come? If you have anything that you need to to pour out before the Lord, come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.